Hi everyone, this is Kino Wolfenstein and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. This series of episodes, we are breaking down and exploring different experiential bottom-up trauma-informed therapeutic modalities. The goal is to educate people, inform people about different modalities, how they work, and hopefully leave people feeling more empowered to seek out effective and deep therapeutic care. Today, my guest is Sam Robinson. I'm super excited to speak with him. We actually work together. Sam is the owner of the practice that I work at, Strong Root Psychotherapy, based in Austin, Texas. And we're going to be talking about a modality called coherence therapy. So coherence therapy is something that Sam introduced me to a few years ago. And when I was introduced to it, it just blew my mind and it really it helped make all of these different beliefs and approaches that I already really cared about it helped make them way more like concrete and clear where I was like okay all these things that I've been you know leaning into in my therapy practice it has this like scientific basis called memory reconsolidation so I'm just going to give like a little spiel a little intro to coherence therapy and what some of the different terminology means before I play this interview with Sam so Coherence therapy is based on the neuroscientific research of memory reconsolidation. And memory reconsolidation is the process that happens in the brain, which enables deep transformational changes. Um, It is an experiential therapeutic modality, which means it's bottom up. We're really getting into the somatics, the body. We're getting into the emotions, things that are happening in like the limbic system part of the brain. And... Um, from that kind of bottom-up perspective, there's these different steps that we follow to help someone shift, transform, and update deeply held core beliefs. Um, One of the things that we're going to be talking about in regards to coherence therapy is the idea of schemas. And schemas are basically um, the way that we look at the world And we develop these different schemas based on experiences. So schemas are developed through something called implicit learning. You're going to be hearing me and Sam talk about implicit learning. Implicit learning is when we learn from experiences, not from being taught. So if you read something in a book, that's explicit knowledge, right? Like that's your the top parts of your brain that are learning. But when we learn through experience, that's implicit learning. And there's different parts of the brain that hold on to that implicit knowledge. So let's say you have you know any kind of of traumatic experience that's going to teach you something implicit learning is when an experience teaches you something and in complex trauma well not just in complex trauma but especially in complex trauma we develop a bunch of schemas and schemas have two parts so part one is what to expect from the world around me part two is how do i need to adapt in order to survive that in order to navigate that and protect myself So, for example, you know, you grow up experiencing emotional neglect. The implicit learning is no one's going to meet my needs. No one cares about me. I'm alone. And then how do I need to adapt to that? And different people are going to adapt in different ways. Some might be, I'm going to be avoidant. I'm going to self-isolate. I'm going to make sure that I never rely on anyone, that I become hyper-independent. You know, others might um, instead become people pleasers and caregivers to try to maintain attachment and connection with people. But whatever it is, we're going to see basically, this is what I expect from people. This is what I've learned about the world. And then this is how I am going to adapt to that to that implicit learning to try to cope with it 
So when people come to therapy, the layer that we're seeing a lot of the time is the adaptations, right? People are coming to therapy and they're saying like, I don't like my anxiety. I don't like my avoidance. I don't like my my addictive behaviors, different things like that. Um, But those adaptations are just one part of the schema. So we need to understand what is the emotional learning underneath the adaptation? How did you learn that you need to dissociate, numb your emotions, suppress your anger, avoid closeness, you know, whatever those different things are. So those are just some of the kind of um, foundations for the memory reconsolidation process. And then I'm going to read a little excerpt from Transforming Traumatic Experiences with Memory Reconsolidation by Courtney Armstrong. Um, This is just kind of a paper summarizing what we know about it so far. These are the steps for memory reconsolidation. So step one is to recall the traumatic memory. Um, and I will say that I think these, these steps kind of can go in different ways depending on the client. But this is a good summary. Recall the traumatic memory. Step two is to explore the implicit beliefs attached to the traumatic event and the client's desired beliefs. So this is what I learned from it, right? These are the beliefs that formed from this experience. And this is what I want to change about that. Step three Create a felt experience that changes the meaning of the event or what scientists call a mismatch experience. So you guys have probably heard me on the podcast before talk about disconfirmations um, or corrective emotional experiences, right? We need actual experiences that can juxtapose and, and disconfirm these original traumatic experiences. Um, so that's step three. Step four is to describe the event while integrating the client's new felt experience. So basically, we're going to be going back and forth integrating the original learning and the new learning. And then the last step is a new narrative integration, which is kind of repeating the story, revisiting um, these different experiences until the new meaning feels true. And those words are really important, feels true, because This is not a cognitive model. And I've talked before about how people can experience this dissonance where it's like my brain feels one thing, but my body feels another thing. And so um, we're looking to actually shift the felt sense, the core beliefs and the meanings that people have extracted from traumatic experiences. And coherence therapy is a really cool modality because it actually gives the therapist a lot of flexibility to use different techniques. So the memory reconsolidation process can be accomplished with somatic experiencing, IFS, EMDR. Like there's a lot of different therapeutic techniques that can kind of be plugged into this formula, but we need all those steps to be there for memory reconsolidation to happen. And we know memory reconsolidation has happened when a core belief has truly been updated, right? So for all my listeners with complex trauma, Instead of you just telling yourself something that you think you should believe, it's when that felt sense actually shifts and you're like, oh, like I get it now. Like I actually feel in my body, you know, that I'm safe or that I'm lovable or that I don't need to respond in the same ways that I've always responded, that kind of thing. So me and Sam are going to be um, really just kind of breaking down coherence therapy, talking about what it looks like, giving some examples, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. All right. I'm super excited for our guest today. I'm going to be interviewing Sam Robinson, and I'm going to read his bio. 
Sam is an LCSW supervisor and founder of Strong Root Psychotherapy in Austin, Texas. He was born and raised in the UK and trained as a social worker at the University of Sussex in Brighton. He crossed the pond in 2016 and began his career in child welfare in Kansas City before moving to Austin, Texas in 2018 to work in a group practice and pursue his passion for music, specifically playing the drums. Sam started Strong Root Psychotherapy in March of 2021. And during that time, he worked with Robin Tissick towards his coherence therapy certification. Coherence therapy and the reconsolidation process have become the focus of Sam's work with clients, and he seeks to deepen his work with continued training and consultation. Sam works with a range of clients, but finds joy in helping folks find deeper meaning in their past and how adaptive ways of coping and childhood are in full force in the present day. Helping clients unlock this and update emotional learnings has become a passion for Sam. Thank you for being here, Sam. Thank you. Thank I feel you. like also I should mention before we start that we we work together. So Sam is the owner of the practice that I work at um, and actually introduced me to coherence therapy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for saying that. I should have put that in my bio that you are you are part of the Strong Roots crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured figured I should start with that. So I'm really excited to talk about coherence therapy today. Um, when, when Sam first introduced me to coherence therapy and I started reading about it, I felt like it created this really clear structure for a lot of the kind of ideas and approaches that I was already really drawn towards, but just put it in like a much clearer format. So I think people that have been listening to my podcast for a while will be like, oh, some of this sounds really familiar. Um, but yeah, to, to start off, can you just speak a little bit about what drew you to coherence therapy and kind of like a synopsis of what it is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Actually, what, what you just said kind of rings true for me too. Of um, A friend, uh, a colleague of mine had recommended the book by Bruce Ecker and Robin, um, Unlocking the Emotional Brain. And I, I read it and I was sort of like, oh, wow, like I think I'm doing some of this. But at that point, I was sort of doing, I was doing, uh, you know, I was um, doing kind of deeper work with clients and not really knowing what to do after we get to a certain point and really reading the methodology and unlocking the emotional brain just was gave me the language um, and gave me the sort of next steps to sort of not just have people discover deeper meanings from their past, but also how to change it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, as soon as I read the book, I was like, this is my jam. I think I'm doing a little bit of it already. Obviously, it's it's harder in, in practice. So, I mean, the training kind of never stops really, but um, that opened my eyes to it. And then I, the Coherent Psychology Institute, they do, um, they do like a scholarship. And in 2020 or end of 2019, I applied for the scholarship. So you get like um, to work with a certified trainer for almost a year, which was great. So I worked with Robin and that was it for me. I was like, this is my, I drank the Kool-Aid. It was like, there was no other, no other therapy methodology out there for me. But actually in saying that it works really well with a lot of other, like small techniquey type modalities, you know, like IFS or AEDP, you know, it, the methodology really just guides you how to, how to take a client um, to a place and then how to, sh how to adjust or change emotional learnings. It's not necessarily like a list of, techniques um mm -hmm. so that's how I got into it and essentially it's like um in coherence therapy you're, you're always listening out to why someone's problem depression anxiety uh, social anxiety whatever may actually be a solution to some other problem which is rooted in your past 
So something that seems like perhaps maladaptive presently in your life actually probably was adaptive at some point. Like it probably prevented some other suffering, which is kind of implicit and unconscious. So the goal of coherence therapy is to figure out with the client or guide the client to that unconscious learning, make it conscious and then update it with a, with a more uh, current sort of adaptive uh, way of being. So it's really sort of a non pathologizing approach where you're not going, okay, well, clinically you're depressed and that means this and that it's like, um, Oh, actually maybe the depression is a solution to some other thing in the past that we need to get to. Yeah. That non-pathologizing has been such a theme with the different modalities that we're talking about. I feel like that's one of, one of those core pieces of like a really good trauma informed therapy is that it looks beyond just kind of what's in the DSM and like assigning things as, as problems. And I, I can't remember where I heard it, but like years ago, I heard a therapist say, um, adult problems usually begin as childhood solutions. And I was like, oh my gosh, I connect with that so much. So I had been telling that to all my clients and like working from that framework. And then I heard about coherence therapy and they call it the pro symptom position. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And it just makes so much sense to me. And I think it's like, so uh, validating and affirming for clients to, to do that work and to see the ways that their problems have been adaptive. Yeah, totally. Totally. Actually, I forgot to mention um, before I did the CT scholarship, there's a wonderful lady in Austin, uh, Tori Olds, and she does a training called minding the heart. And she actually opened my eyes to, coherence therapy in the first place and one of the things she says is that yeah like you just said clients come to therapy with their solutions not their problems yeah and it it like blew my mind I was like oh yeah like we sit around and we talk about how clients are uh, this type of client and this is their diagnosis and stuff and I'm like yeah but if we view them as coming with their solutions the work can be so much richer and understanding how is this a solution for them in their world like their subjective world you know what I mean it was really yes wonderful to hear that yeah Um, yeah Tori Olds has an amazing I highly recommend her YouTube channel to anyone listening to she has that great video about memory reconsolidation kind of breaking down the process I've I've learned a lot from her as well mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm Yeah, she's great with coherence therapy um it's experiential and that's the the series that I'm doing right now is, you know, trying to break down different experiential modalities. So I've mm-hmm. kind of been asking all of my, all of my guests this just cause I like hearing the way different people answer it. So what is experiential therapy to you and what's the difference between experiential therapy and non-experiential therapy? Oh, man, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I think I'm trying not to use other people's definitions that I've, <laughs> that I've listened <laughs> original to. Original work only. <laughs> original work only. Yeah, because Tori, Tori talks about like mindfulness and being in the moment, you know, the, in, the, the interpersonal in the moment stuff that happens. But I think for me, what it means is literally just instead of having a talk, or a chat, like there needs to be an experience that happens to for the work to be deep. And you can tell like, you know, you, you and I perhaps right now are having a more cognitive in our head um, chat because that's the, that's the nature of this type of thing, but you really want clients to embody an experience. So instead of like saying, Oh, I feel, I feel anxious when I, um, when I'm in a group of people talking about something I'm passionate about, you would have the client imagine that they're in that situation. 
mm-hmm. and they would say, okay, so I'm, I'm there and I'm looking around the room and I see the people. And in the moment someone invites me to talk, I feel this, I'm feeling this warmth, like kind of in present tense, mm-hmm. like really trying to embody the experience of the problem in real time, rather than talking about it in past tense. And really like experiential can just mean, for me, it's like anything that's not in your head. Mm-hmm. So it could be anything like uh, it can be it can be just having a client focus on their body. You know, all the somatic stuff is, mm-hmm. is experiential um, setting up a scene where, you know, perhaps the, a client struggles to do a certain thing and you have them play out them imaginally doing the scene to, to so they can tell it, tell, talk about what's happening in their body and why it might be necessary not to do that thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's being in it in the present, you know, conjuring up like the feelings and the somatic sensations and all of that in like live time instead of kind of reflecting mm-hmm. on it from a distance. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that's totally it. And um, in CT, they always talk about um, talking, being in it and speaking from it rather than about it. Yes. Which is like, which is hard, you know, because everyone, everyone has thought about we've all thought about our problems a lot and we right. can probably all talk about them all day. Right. <laughs> and I know for me, like being, being uh, invited to slow down and be in an experience as if it's happening really like shines a light for me on what's happening. And it's such mm-hmm. a, uh, a deeper way of working. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think um, a lot of the people that listen to my podcast and a lot of people in general, they've gotten stuck in exactly what you just said, which is just like talking about the problems, thinking about the problems, analyzing the Mm -hmm. problems, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so this just, I think, especially for the people that kind of identify with like, yeah, I'm really analytical. I'm up in my head a lot, but I can't make those like deeper emotional shifts. Um, This is like a really, really helpful framework for that. Um, I was also thinking of, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to speak to that because I think you'd mentioned something a while ago that I saw about how people can be told, oh, well, you have all the insight now. Like, I can't really help you anymore. Like you and, uh, you know, I get a lot of clients like that, too, who are like, yeah, I've been in therapy for however long and I'm, you know, I'm not really nothing's happening or the therapist has said I know everything. And um, I think insight doesn't really bring change. You know, it doesn't really experientially shift stuff it's just like oh yeah I've thought about it I've talked about it but your nervous system is still wired the same the implicit knowings are still the same um yeah, yeah sorry I just yeah. wanted to mention that no no thank you that actually leads perfectly into what I wanted to talk about next which is so something that was kind of like a, a question for me for a while was you know what is that difference between knowing something in your head and like actually believing it and feeling it. And that's Mm -hmm. a a conflict that I come across a lot, especially earlier in my work, when I was still kind of figuring out my modalities with complex trauma, where, you know, people will come in and they'll say like, in my head, I know that it wasn't what happened wasn't my fault. And like, I was just a kid. But like, in my gut, I still feel, you know, all this shame or all this self blame and guilt and things like that. And or, you know, or any other belief. Um, And Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite Mm -hmm. sure. I was like, what makes it so you actually feel something like you actually believe something full body and mind instead of this split between like the cognitive and the emotional. And so I think the implicit learning um, and emotional learning kind of answered that for me. So could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the example you just gave of like, I know cognitively it wasn't my fault, but I but in my gut I feel like it is I think that's the first place you need to to 
land is this terrible thing happened and what i learned was it was my fault you know and and really uh, letting a client sit in that is mm-hmm. is is really uncomfortable but if but the, it sounds like there's also a part that um um because obviously when when there's trauma for kids the way they make sense of it is like this this is my fault and i think you have to get to that first discovered bit of material before you can change it and the changing it in this case maybe having the adult self that knows cognitively it's not our fault meeting with the child part mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like the juxtaposition would be the adult part being the attachment figure to the the traumatized child in that yeah. case um but in terms of like having someone really feel it if someone still is saying cognitively it, it, I still believe it. And you've done the discovery work. It probably just means the discovery work wasn't deep enough, you know, like the, mm-hmm. like, so maybe you have to revisit some stuff. Maybe you have to do some more digging, maybe where you discovered um, wasn't the right place or there was a, there was some other meaning or bit that was missed. Um, and really it's up to the client to gauge in their own system on a felt sense. Like it is, is, is this, is what we're doing feel true and, and yeah. true to you? And I think there's sometimes you can kind of gauge it as the therapist, but I think I'm learning more and more to really just trust the client. And, yeah. and you know, if they're coming back and saying the problem still exists and I'm still in my head and I all these are still cognitive um, ideas right now or whatever, I think you need to do some more discovery work, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I like that question of like, does it feel true? I think I ask my clients that question a lot in, in our work, mm-hmm. um, like, what feels true. And especially if clients kind of, they know in their head what the like, quote unquote, right thing is, or they're like, this is what I should feel, or like, this is what I should think about Mm -hmm. it. And it's like, yeah, but what, what actually does like feel true. And I like how you said, we, we have to kind of like start with, you know, what we know on that deeper emotional gut level and like Mm -hmm. stay there for longer than you would think instead of, I think with some more like cognitive therapy models, it's like, okay, you identify the core belief and then you try to like you know kind of change it or transform it really quickly and instead it's Mm -hmm. like no you really gotta like fully like feel it out and be in that original truth yeah yeah and it's and it's less about just staying in the autobiographical memory right it's like more about so this thing happened and what do you what do you feel it meant about you what did it mean about the world like what are the things that you learned from this thing that are now guiding how you live your life today kind of and and also um there is a sort of needing to stay there for a bit but obviously if a client is like you know you can see that it's really dysregulating obviously it needs it needs to be done with their consent yes (laughs) you know what I mean instead of because it can be it's really hard but you're also not just like walk me through the scene you know you're you're really like let's 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 milk the uh scene for meaning it's less about oh what happened to you yeah, it's like what what happened that now guides how you live today, which could be, right. you know, it's so unique. It does. You can't really. The list is probably endless. Um, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's like I think naturally, too, as a society, we're wired to be in our heads. So, I mean, I often struggle to know, like, has this been deep enough that the client is saying it feels true? And I think what I do is I just stay and I'm like, oh, what about it feels true to you? Or what about it feels necessary to do like I really just try and stay there but I think that I think the you know my own um needing to speed up or like 
push a client through the methodology gets mm-hmm. in the way and actually slower is faster and like yeah. not move not moving on until you and the client are completely in um unison about what everything means and how it yeah. impacts them that makes yeah, sense it totally makes sense yeah I, so I want to kind of define a few of the the different things that you were talking about here so one you know when we're talking about like what did you learn about yourself and about the world and about other people so and I, I'm going to kind of give my understanding and then Sam, feel free to, to add on here. But basically mm-hmm. when, when we have an experience that is like intense, an intense emotional experience, um, intense enough that it, it actually kind of shifts the way that our brains construct an understanding of, of reality. And I've heard that there are kind of two parts of a schema is, is kind of the language that I use. The first part is like, what to expect from the world around me. And the second Mm -hmm. part is what do I need to do to manage that? You know, so if you have like a strong emotional experience of being, you know, chastised or bullied or that kind of thing. And then you, you kind of think to yourself, okay, I expect other people to like reject me and, and, you know, chastise me. And there's also going to be like a behavioral adaptation that comes from that, which is like, or even like an emotional adaptation, which is like the way that I need to deal with that is, you know, I mean, and it could be anything, right? There's not just one example, but like, I need to, mm-hmm. you know, be closed off and not be vulnerable, or I need to be like tough and, you know, mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. mean to other people before they can hurt me. Or So that's, that's kind of like just a, a brief example of what implicit learning is, right? It's, it's learning mm-hmm. that happens from a strong emotional experience. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be big T trauma stuff. You know, I'm just thinking about how um you know some a a young man could just have a a memory of being told boys don't cry and you know the Mm -hmm. father saying you know boys don't cry don't whatever that you know and and the implicit meanings from that could be anything if i if i cry my dad's going to reject me if i if i um show any emotion or whatever i'm going to be i'm going to be rejected i'm going to be alone which can lead to all kinds of problems in your adult life social anxiety just anxiety being just being cut off emotionally but it all makes coherent sense because the implicit thing is basically if i'm if i'm emotional i'm going to be rejected by my dad and everybody is like my dad right right i mean it's like a blanket thing suddenly even though you're not thinking that in your mind it's just i think what you're saying is when there's when there's a a, up uh, a high intense um emotional thing I think your brain stores stuff differently and it becomes implicit there's the autobiographical memory oh yeah my dad said that but it didn't impact me but then when you dig deeper the meanings are that they're there and they're and they're happening in real time in your present life yes Um, yeah and they're generalized out like like you said it doesn't just become like oh my dad isn't a safe person to be emotional with it becomes like the whole world is is not safe to be emotional with which i think yeah the whole world yeah yeah every generalized out yeah yeah um Mm -hmm. and that's what you're looking for in ct a lot too is the sort of very black and white because sometimes it can be hard you know to to it's not always straightforward with anybody any of us we're all very complicated people but I think always listening out to to sort of blanket statements like someone may say oh I would never do that or something or someone might say oh that would be so dangerous to do that and suddenly you're like oh yeah there is these little nuggets of blanket statements because of things that you've learned from your past which is what we're looking to kind of 
loosen in the work together. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing you mentioned was the juxtapositions or, or the disconfirmations. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about what that means in CT? Yeah, for sure. So like you said, yeah, when there's when there's like this this um these implicit learnings from you know traumatic experience or like an intense experience, they get locked in place, right? So these blanket things of like if I'm emotional in front of anybody, I'll be rejected just like I was with bad, right? That becomes that is that's unchangeable unless actually that's that's unchangeable despite even having experiences which contradict it. So even if you meet a really emotionally open man or or a partner is encouraging you they're saying please be be emotional just express mm-hmm. yourself it's okay your internal working your internal model would, would is going to be that um there's no I way can't. there's no yeah. way i can't at all and so what you have to do in the, the coherence therapy is get to the original schema get to that memory on you know on on like flesh out all the meanings and stuff and have the client really soak it up you know and sometimes it's enough just for them to 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 say out loud, "Oh, I had to cut myself off emotionally because I'd be rejected by dad, and I've I've assumed that everybody is like dad." And sometimes when a client really gets in touch with that emotional truth, that can be enough for the brain to go, "Well, that's not true because mm-hmm. my wife, my wife's not going to reject me, and I have a colleague at work that's always talking about his emotions, and no one rejects him." But sometimes if if that doesn't happen naturally, you can just ask a client. Hey, is there anyone in your life who perhaps wants you to be emotional? Or have you seen anyone be emotional in your life and they haven't been rejected? And they might say yes. And then you guide them between the original schema. I have to be shut off, otherwise I'll be rejected by dad and everybody is the same. And then the new knowledge of, but actually I've seen people do it and they encourage it from me and they don't reject me. And then guiding them back from the old schema to the new knowing and then that's what that's the memory reconsolidation, which has to happen three times. And I think there's a certain window where the brain is like open to that, which is why you sort of integrate it a lot. You spend yes. a lot of time integrating. So for so long, you've believed and it's felt true that this has been the way the world works. And now this is this seems true and you've observed this. Um, so that's the kind of juxtaposition is like the, getting to the emotional truth mm-hmm. and then guiding the client to become aware of experiences which directly contradict that, which up till this point haven't changed anything. Right. That makes sense. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and that's another thing that, you know, I had been speaking about kind of early on in this podcast with trauma, especially with like attachment trauma, any kind of relational trauma is like, you have to have some kind of reparative experience. You have to have some kind of, you know, corrective experience. But I Mm -hmm. think what the coherence therapy outlines that's so fascinating is like you can have corrective experiences and and just not integrate them so it doesn't actually shift you know where Mm -hmm. where you're holding those emotional learnings so it's like this experiential Mm -hmm. process that allows your brain to actually absorb like oh these new experiences that contradict you know these old experiences and then allow me Mm -hmm. to update my you know my model of the world um it makes it makes a ton of sense totally and you just can't you just can't see like you're because the knowings are so implicit they're just deeply held truths that you can't contradict by having other experiences until you really unlock what those implicit knowings are yeah um you know because we all like have experiences in our life that and then suddenly they just guide um how we live and we don't think about it Mm -hmm. and until until you do like deeper work you know it's not 
despite how many contradicting experiences you have, those schemas stay um, pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, the goal with the coherence therapy process or with memory reconsolidation in general is to produce this, this thing called transformational change. And I mm-hmm. think the concept of the transformational change, you know, in coherence therapy, they um, compare that to, I think they call it the counteractive change. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about those differences? For sure. Yeah. Well, transformational change is really, um, like once you've once you've kind of updated a schema is that the the goal is that the problem that the person came to therapy with anxiety depression whatever it is disappears it's no once you once you get to the to the function of it and do the juxtaposition where the client explicitly feels that the the um schema is no longer necessary to survive then the symptom often just disappears I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's like a, uh, it's like a whoa moment, you know, it's like a, wow, this, this is melting away. Often when you watch um, Bruce or any of the um, other videos on the CT um, Institute, you know, there's this kind of um, magical moment, but sometimes it's more subtle, you know, the client becomes aware of the schema and then they update, they do the juxtaposition and actually it's not, there's not this like aha moment, but they're free from the symptom for the most part. Um, so transformational change is really clients coming in and then leaving without the problem is the, is the aim and, you know, counteractive stuff like CBT and stuff that definitely has a place. I think, I think it's, um, helpful for some people, although it doesn't get to the root of the problem Mm -hmm. and it kind of just, um, you know, you put a bandaid on it for a bit and you can sort of counteract it for the, the problem for a while. And then the problem comes back. Um, yeah, it doesn't do the sort of more deeper lasting change. Yeah, yeah. And I the reason I think that's important for people with complex trauma, too, is because, you know, I think it can feel really overwhelming to think like, oh, I'm going to have to manage all of these different symptoms and kind of counter them forever. So, you know, DBT as well. Like I think DBT has some skills that are really helpful for people, but also Mm -hmm. I've heard many people say like, it's kind of tiring to constantly be having to be like, what DBT skill do I need to use to like regulate this feeling or to like stop myself from having this reaction or that kind of thing. Mm. And so the, the like deeper relief that comes from like, oh, if we can really reprocess this, you might not have to continually use all these different tools to manage this thing. Yeah. Oh my God. Just hearing you say that, I feel exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> because because and there is also this sort of sense of like I'm doing this because how I feel is wrong, and yeah. and what I think is wrong, so I have to counteract it. Yeah, and I don't know. I just think it's such a relief to work with people and and even have the energy of like these are your solutions. Now mm-hmm. let's get to the bottom of them rather than okay. When you think that, just think this instead, and remind yourself to think differently. I mean that is exhausting, and we also all do that all day yeah. anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and just to speak to uh kind of more complex trauma too is um it is it is the work is longer with people with complex attachment, but Bruce I'm in a consultation group with him. He's the the founder of the uh methodology and stuff and he says that the schemas are finite. They do come to an end. Like there is yeah. it's not like I've had a complex childhood and so this the the ski the implicit schemas are endless he he says there there is an end it may take longer to get to all of them yeah. but there is um there is an end which was a relief for me and i have 
um I'm sure it was a relief for other people to hear because it can feel like oh there's no hope or it's always going to be like this or it's going to be never ending and it may be <clears throat> it may take longer for some people but there is hope yes things can be different yeah yeah I'm sure that's that would be a relief for a lot of the the listeners on this podcast as well um so mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to walk through an example of the different kind of coherence therapy steps just to make it really clear mm-hmm. um I'm wondering I'm wondering how to come up with a, a good example um yeah let me think I mean hmm yeah I mean I can give you I can just give you a yeah example yeah if you if you can give an example and then we can kind of talk through what the process would look like I think that would be super helpful yeah um okay I actually let me think I was thinking I could just use an example of my own me like being the client because I I mean part of the training has been obviously for me to be the client and I found it really um just eye-opening and wonderful and really makes you um when when there's a when the, often when there's a shift you can kind of chuckle you can laugh because for so long you've been living this implicit way yeah. and that's happened to me a few times um so like i had a um i have this sort of uh, for a long time this pattern of like going to shame when i sense that someone is upset with me like i would you know i could walk in a room i could i could I could see someone's a look on someone's face and I would kind of go to shame, like, Oh, something's wrong with me. I'm, I'm bad and all this stuff. So the therapist I worked with, who was also a trainer too, she was great. You know, she guided me into one of these experiences. So I I was explaining, okay, so I walk in a room, I look over at the person's face and I see that they may be slightly irritated. And my immediate feeling in my gut is like, I've done something wrong. I'm bad, blah, blah, blah. So she just encouraged me to stay there for a bit. And then after a, couple moments she just asked me what's familiar about that feeling the Mm. feeling in my gut so she spends time really fleshing it out you know she's in the experience with me and she's like so I'm watching you there and like tell me how you know you need to go to shame or whatever we're staying there and talking about the somatics of it she asked me about what's familiar about that feeling and obviously in my mind I'm like oh yeah it's my mom Mm. (laughs) you know I know the feeling and then so she'll say you know they validate you and all that stuff and then you go back to maybe a scene that they'll say um tell me what's familiar about it. What, what images or memories do you have? And I have one of, you know, my mom being in the kitchen and I can tell she's upset. I can feel the steam bellowing out of her ears, but she's not saying anything. So my default is to go to shame because I learned when mom's upset to get the heat off me, I have to go to shame. Mm. And everybody is like mom, right? Was the, was the, right. was the change, was the change bit for me. So once I was in this experience with my mom and, um I just want to say too my mom's a wonderful person I'm not I'm not <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't big t trauma stuff with my mom it was just a pattern that I I developed and blanketed to the rest of the world mm-hmm. and so yeah I was in the experience with my mom and then um uh she actually the the therapist actually had me say stuff directly to my mom imaginally so mm-hmm. I think she was she would say tell mom why you need to go to shame. So I would, I'd be in the experience. I'd look over to my mom and I'd be like, mom, I have to go into a place of shame because if I don't, you'll reject me even more or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then, and then she added bits. It was like, um, and say, and tell mom that what you learned is that everybody is like mom. So I said, mm-hmm. you know, mom, blah, 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 this is, and everybody is like you. And when I, when I said that everybody is like you, there was almost an immediate, but no mm-hmm. one's not everybody's like you. Mm-hmm. 
So then we connect back up. There's a thing called incoherence therapy, which is connecting back up, which means you go and do some discovery, deep work, and then you connect back up to the current problem, which for me was feeling shame when I thought yeah. someone was upset. So she connected me back up to that scene. And I would say to that person, which happened to be my wife, um, Abby, when I see that you're upset, I have to go to shame because otherwise you'll reject me more because you're exactly like mom. Mm. Obviously saying that made me chuckle because she's not like my mom. Right, right. So it was all it, it wasn't a very, this wasn't over a long period of time either. This, I think this was one session. And yeah, so I get, I, I laugh and then we spend time integrating it. You know, we spend yeah. time really making sure that what's been discovered is integrated into my consciousness. Yeah. And then we, we write the, 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 there's like a, at the end of the session, we'd collaborate on a statement, mm. which I read every day. I read the statement, which says, I, I learned from mom that when she's upset, I have to go to shame in order to avoid being rejected further. And I, and I blank, I, and I made this, uh the same for everybody because everybody is like mom okay and then that was mm. it was integrating that juxtaposition and then the next session it was like obviously no not everybody's like mom yeah yeah and the and the problem didn't exist anymore i tr you know i tried to the idea was i had to read the statement every time i felt that default to shame experience which didn't actually come up again wow so you know so i just i stayed i read the statement and it started to feel less and less true, obviously, as the weeks went by. And then the, the mm. next session was a sort of verification of for so long, it's felt like I needed to go to shame when someone's upset because that kept me in relationship to mom. But now I know not everybody is like mom. Yeah. And it's okay that it's okay that people are upset and it doesn't always have to be about you. Yeah. Um, is that helpful? Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Super, super helpful, I think, to to hear the example and um, yeah, I think one of the, so I heard the visualization piece, which is to actually like imagine that you're in the scene, you know, to kind of mm -hmm. connect in with the feelings. And then the other thing you talked about was um, like speaking directly to the significant people instead of about them, where, yeah. where you're actually like imagining mom or imagining your wife and, and, you know, saying these things to them. So what's, what's the point of that in coherence therapy? It's to, to you're really just aiming to, to, get to what feels the most emotionally true. Yeah. And uh, all of those things, sometimes you, it's, sometimes it's not necessary to perhaps say stuff directly to the attachment, attachment figure or to your, to whoever is involved, because sometimes clients are already so in it. You could, you don't really need to like deepen into it other than yeah. having, having them speaking from their experience. I think for me as someone who kind of runs more in my head I think it's helpful for me to deepen into the experience more by imagining saying this stuff to mom and also it allows your brain to is Bruce I don't know if it's Bruce or just neuroscientists in general call it a mismatch detector so when you're when you when you're in an experience and you speak an emotional truth to someone and it actually is ridiculous because it doesn't make any sense anymore your brain will naturally go that doesn't that's not true yeah. So I think there's something about speaking directly to the attachment figure or to whoever that allows your brain to go, oh, hang on a minute, that's not true. Uh, or that is true. That's definitely true. You yeah. know, so I think it just helps to deepen in the work. And it's less of a because I could, you know, you could the therapist could have said. So what do you what do you think that meant? Um, what do you think that meant? Or what do you think that meant about your relationship with mom? And then I'm in, e immediately thinking in my, in my yeah, head yeah. where she said, tell mom yeah. why you'll tell mom why it's necessary to do that or tell mom this. And then I'm in the experience again. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so it's about keeping people embodied and experiential. Yep. Yeah. And I, I've seen clients before and I've had this experience myself too, where you're, I'm talking about something or a client is talking about something kind of not connected to the emotion. You can tell there's a disconnect. And then as soon as you add in that element of like the visual or the, like, imagine mm-hmm. saying this to them directly, you know, tears start coming and you can just tell that it evokes like such a deeper emotional connection to the material. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And even like, um, in CT, they use the overt statement, which mm-hmm. they call like the workhorse of the whole methodology, which is basically any sort of discover, newly discovered material or like um, any a- any bit of deeper work. You just have the client say it back to you. Mm-hmm. Like if a client says a blanket statement, um, like, yeah, I have to go to shame because uh, I'll just be rejected. Then you say, wait. Could you just say that to me again? You have to go to shame. Otherwise you'll be rejected. And then having a, cause the clients probably said it in their head, right. And then having them say it back to you yeah, to really deepen into it is really profound for people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I had another question. What was I going to ask you about? Um, hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, with, you know, with the kind of complex trauma stuff, I, I just wanted to highlight what you said about basically the the point that you came to with the example you gave was like, oh, not everyone is like my mom, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. people that are different. And I just wanted to highlight that because I feel like that ends up being a transformative point for like a lot of different attachment related stuff. Um, because especially with, you know, my clients that have complex trauma, you never, ever want to invalidate like how real those early attachment wounds were. Or again, the fact that like the clients adapted in in perfectly coherent, you know, sensible ways. Um, Mm -hmm. but what you do want to want to do is kind of degeneralize it where it can be like, yeah, that was awful. What happened with mom and dad, you know, or with my family, that was terrible. I really wasn't safe to share my emotions. I really did have to, you know, adapt in all these ways, you know, Mm -hmm. but like, that's not the whole world. And I I find another piece of it is like the helplessness or the powerlessness, because obviously Mm -hmm. as a kid, you don't have any agency to choose, you know, your family or what environment you're in. So even that Mm -hmm. can be like a, a big thing to integrate, I think for complex trauma, which is like, oh, and I get to choose like who I want to be around and I can choose relationships with people that don't invalidate me or that don't shame me or that don't you know whatever yeah 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 totally yeah it's definitely not about invalidating there's not there isn't any flavor of that with CT actually what you do too which I should have mentioned is when when you get to like a a, an emotional schema you really like empathize the coherence of it Mm -hmm. empathize with so you would say Oh, you had to, you had to hold in your emotions because if you didn't, this would happen. You ha- like you really uh, let the client soak it up that they literally had to. They had yeah. to do this thing as a way of staying safe. It was so necessary. Yeah. Like really, it's there's not there's nothing about oh you did that well you know not everyone's like mom just don't do it again. It's really right. <laughs> like you had to. It was a survival thing because if you didn't this would have happened, you yeah. know, it really. Um, and I think, I think sometimes um, some people also want to speak to juxtapositions quickly, can't yeah. find someone that's con that has treated them any differently. And that's where you can use the client as the, as the person. Yeah. Like, so you could have a, 
you could have a scene where the th- the client revisits their child self mm-hmm. and says all of the stuff like you have to be this way with mom because if you don't xyz is going to happen and have the, your client say to their inner child but i want you to know it's different and i'm here and i understand yeah. Yeah. and offering them the thing that they didn't get can be really as profound as having you know someone else treat them differently yeah yeah no I love that you mentioned that because I mean I feel like that's definitely something I've found with complex trauma too is that there can be this like continual reinforcement of the traumatic schemas it's so tough because it's not just like oh yeah this one thing happened in my family it's like it happened in my family and then it happened in every romantic relationship I've had and it happened in all my friendships and you know I kept experiencing this you know this same pattern over and over again um I know it's hard so we we can't like, we can't be like, oh, just find a juxtaposition, you know, in the relationships you've had necessarily, if someone has really had that just reinforced over and over again. Definitely. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really, it is really unfortunate that that happens, but it does happen. And schemas are reinforced over and over again. Um, and it can be really compl- complicated to untangle, but it is possible. Yeah. Um, and also yeah. often the, um the presence and the attachment of the therapist can also provide like a juxtaposition you know if yeah. a client has, has talked about historically i've never been able to talk about my emotions because i you know i would be rejected by mom or whatever it is and really once they get to that implicit knowing sharing with them so what's what's it like to share this with me now yeah like, is there a sense that i'm going to reject you i mean sometimes a lot of people go well i'm paying you and that's yeah a good argument <laughs> But you know, they're not. You don't. You don't also have to be attuned and understanding and empathetic. Yeah. So it can help sometimes to be like, and and maybe maybe you know if they really believe it. Oh yeah, you haven't rejected me, and being like, well, maybe, and also maybe I maybe I'm not the only person too. Right. You know. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the inner child stuff that you mentioned, like, I love that. And the, as my work has kind of evolved, I feel like the main two things that I lean on are the coherence therapy stuff and then like parts work, IFS, inner child stuff. I feel like they mm-hmm. just go so well together. And mm-hmm. I know in mm-hmm. kind of attachment stuff, they talk about how part of healing from attachment trauma is to develop your own internal secure base, like to have that mm-hmm. like healthy adult that can, in, in, internally that can be there for like the wounded inner child parts and so I mm-hmm, just think it's mm-hmm. so great that that can also be a juxtaposition like it can be the relationship you have with yourself and like with your own parts totally yeah yeah it's funny you mentioned that actually I was watching a, an, a demo session of Dick Schwartz the IFS guy the other day and yeah he's really like encourages different parts to attune to other parts and give mm-hmm. them what perhaps they needed and it's really a p- profound to see the change that can happen from that yeah yeah i i think yeah. it's it's really amazing um and yeah mm-hmm. so to go back to something you said earlier about the memory reconsolidation process so basically you know my understanding is that the the people that were researching like what creates deep change in therapy what are like the necessary ingredients basically you know for someone to experience transformation in therapy and they found that there were like these key ingredients that were showing up every time but that it it wasn't owned by one specific modality and that there were like multiple modalities that could accomplish it if they Mm -hmm. kind of were following the structure yeah yeah, I think I think neuroscientists have known about memory reconsolidation since 
like the 90s, I think. Oh, wow. Because Bruce's first book came out in like, I think it came out in 95. I don't know. I could mm. be wrong, but he's been doing it for 30 years. Wow. And yeah, it is a methodology. Oh, man, I was going to say something about that. Yeah, because for so long, people thought that the implicit stuff we learned was unchangeable. Once right. a memory is consolidated, that's it. But then they realized that a memory can be reconsolidated. And so what Bruce did, Bruce Ecker is the guy who founded the whole thing. He and his wife, I think, looked through transcripts of all these sessions where it seemed like change had happened. Mm. And then they were like, oh, there's this specific thing that happens. And then they read the neuroscience research and they're like, oh, it's memory reconsolidation. That's what's happening. Yeah. And like this, you know, so the steps are like um, a client comes in with, this, with the problem a symptom and then you discover together the the roots of that symptom and all the implicit knowings and all of the things they've learned about the world and you have them stew in that and then you provide a juxtaposition or you look for a juxtaposition experience which can't which contradicts the original learning mm-hmm. um and then you repeat those steps like um i think three times mm-hmm. um so the steps are pretty clear and coherence therapy again is like it is it's it's a methodology so you yeah. can use it like you can take do you need you can do whatever it takes to get there you yeah can, like if you know it, it, it doesn't I think what they do say though is is the emotion isn't necessarily the deepest bit I think the mm. meaning the meaning behind the emotion is what's more important for coherence therapy like what does yeah. it mean about the world yourself others and um you know, because when I first started out, I was always like, oh, I'll get a client to just feel emotionally. And then that's 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 the end. Yeah. But actually, it's that's it's, it can go a lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it seems um, like the steps can work with a whole range of modalities, which is why it's so great, because I think if you're already practicing sort of deeper work having this framework in mind just makes makes you more intentional about how you practice yeah yeah Mm -hmm. when I was reading the coherence therapy um, handbook the training manual there was a part where it said it gave a list of like a bunch of different kinds of therapy that have been able to accomplish the memory reconsolidation and it was Mm -hmm. like EMDR gestalt work um, schema therapy IFS somatic stuff like it it was just like a big old list including a few kinds of therapy I had never even heard of before I think Mm -hmm. um, the ART the accelerated resolution therapy AEDP mm-hmm. so it's yeah yeah it's really cool how you can kind of like use it in whatever way matches with your your own clinical style um mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I think is great so I guess to any therapist listening I totally recommend the the trainings I mean it's super super helpful I feel like I got so much out of even just like the super introductory stuff yeah really recommend it to everybody I think memory reconsolidation is you know it's essentially the mechanism in the brain that 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 transforms people's lives which i think as therapists we should be familiar with right that's kind of the goal right (laughs) yeah i'm actually disappointed that i mean it seems shocking they don't train you about it in school like i know know that there's 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 time constraints where they're like okay let's just do all of the solution focused stuff and it's short term it makes sense but i wish someone would have said hey like the actual mechanism in your brain to help people change is this yeah. You know, instead of yeah. finding it out three years into my career. No, 
<laughs> totally. A hundred percent. It does seem like it's pretty, pretty foundational knowledge that we could all use in grad school. Totally. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll just ask a more open-ended question, like in, it, with your experience, um, doing coherence therapy, doing more experiential work, what, what else have you found to be important or impactful or what's something you love about the work? Just anything else you want to share? I think really, um, CT is really, a, you don't make any assumptions. You don't interpret, you don't interpret anything, you know, for so long, right. You're sort of trained to be an expert in air quotes and an expert in other people's lives. But CT for me, as soon as they said, yeah, don't make any assumptions and don't interpret. I was like, oh my God, thank God. I don't mm. have to pretend like I know about this person's inner world because yeah. essentially the client knows and they, their subjective experience is just exactly that. And if I make assumptions or if I, if I, suggest oh i think it's about this it's not gonna it's not gonna help it may even hinder the the therapy um so really just sitting with i don't know but together you and i are going to discover like what this yeah. is all about that's been so wonderful and 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 freedom to to clarify too you know like as soon as i got rid of this sense of like oh i should know I just clarify with clients all the time. Like, what do you mm. mean by that word? Or what does anxiety specifically mean to you? Right. What does, what does this mean? It's like, and, and most clients have never really been allowed to flesh out some of the words that they use about their experience. So I've never had a client say, all right, dude, it's anxiety. Let's move on. I re you know, clients right. are like, Oh, I have an opportunity to really flesh out what I mean. Or maybe I don't know what I mean. Or like, maybe right. it's not anxiety. Maybe it's this. And I, I feel like that's helped me because if I, I can't move forward unless I'm super clear and understanding and attuned to what the client is saying. Yeah. If I move, if I move ahead based on my own assumptions, I'm going to get lost. The client's going to, going to feel lost. And I'm going to have to say, do you know what? I feel lost. Can we step, can we mm -hmm. go back? Which happens a lot too, because I'm still, um, you know, I'm still learning and, and developing. I think that I don't, I don't think that ever ends. Um, yeah. So that's been really helpful. It takes the pressure off you as like the expert and you're just the guide. And they talk about sort of taking an anthropological perspective of a client. So you're basically like, yeah, let's dig around together. Right. And I'm going to I'm going to nudge you and guide you where I can. And I'm going to clarify and 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 you're going to uh, and we're going to get there together. So that's yeah. been really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think, um, you know, it definitely honors the whole like you know, people are experts on their own lived experience thing, like, you know, really putting the client in the position of, you know, your inner world a lot better than I do. And, you know, let's try to figure it out together. So I, yeah. I think it's very like respectful in that way. And then mm -hmm. I also like that. I, I feel like with the assumptions um, or the, the kind of like interpretations, it, it assumes that um, everyone with the same symptom is going to have the same root underneath it mm -hmm. when that's so not true. Like you could take, mm -hmm. you could take 20 people that all present with the same kind of like social anxiety behaviors and they have totally different, like emotional meaning, mm -hmm. you know, underneath mm -hmm. it. Um, and so, yeah. And I find that sometimes people want that simple answer too. They're like, why do I, you know, like, what's the cause for this? Or like, what's the reason for this? And it's like, oh, it just totally, totally depends on each individual it, it really is <laughs> totally yeah yeah I think I was in a consultation once with Bruce and he said um I think he said something like oh yeah my advice isn't very good 
you know, someone had asked him about giving advice and he said, yeah, my advice is not very good. Or someone yeah. in the consult had said, what do you do? And someone just wants advice and he'll say, yeah, my advice is isn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> and which is true, you know, if you give someone advice and they go and try it out and it doesn't work out, they're not good, you know, chances are they won't come back. Right. <laughs> um, but with the assumption piece too, obviously it's good to like have an idea. Maybe this is about this. But you would never like deliver that to a client. You would set up an experience to test it out. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're the client, if you have an idea that the social anxiety is about, um, you know, being confident means being rejected by someone or whatever, mm-hmm. you could just set up an experience which tests that out. Like imagine yeah. you're imagine you're confident and you walk in the room and you feel this, you know, the symptom isn't there and you feel confident and strong what happens and obviously there might be like oh it feels really great and, and then you're like well what's uncomfortable about that They're like oh yeah if i'm confident i'm going to be rejected yeah. whatever so it's like you can have assumptions but you don't deliver them prescriptively you, you right. try it out with the client you find out and then if you're wrong you keep digging yeah yeah Yeah, that example you just gave. So that's another um, coherence therapy technique. That's kind of the symptom deprivation technique, right? And um, Mm -hmm. just to to give like a quick description, it's basically, you know, you're having someone imagine not having the symptom, whatever the symptom is, and then seeing if they can connect with the parts of them that actually feel like this symptom is necessary for me to have. And it actually feels like risky or threatening in some way to not have it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and and it's not just a case of saying, okay, so imagine this exact same scene and you just don't feel it. So what you would do in, 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 in like a first session of coherence therapy, perhaps you might ask the client, what would you like to be different? And they might say, well, I have this social anxiety and you flesh out kind of what that experience is. And you would ask them, well, if it was different, how would you feel? And they would say, oh, I'd feel confident and I would feel grounded and I'd feel like I know what I'm talking about. So then you would have them walk through the original scene. Oh, so I'm at work. I'm feeling all this pressure in my chest, blah, blah, blah. And then you would have them, then you would offer them the symptom deprivation. So you would say, so imagine that scene now. And the moment before you feel the anxiety, you just are overwhelmed with confidence Mm. and you're grounded. And you know what you're saying and you mm-hmm. deliver this wonderful thing. So instead of just saying, imagine you don't have it. Right. You would really try and get them in the experience. And then the moment before that they feel the problem, give them the give them what they would feel instead. Mm-hmm. And it, it it doesn't it doesn't always work. But a lot of time people are uncomfortable with being right. without the symptom because mm-hmm. the symptom protects them from this thing. And then when when they um, if they talk about the discomfort, you just deepen into that. Yeah. Yeah. Part part of you really doesn't want to be without this this problem. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you empathize with the coherence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 I have found that to be really. Um, I, I've done that a lot with people regarding like people pleasing and um, issues with like boundary setting and stuff like that. Where it's like, oh yeah, like imagine you know that in this scene that you are able to just say like no or like you know this is my boundary or assert yourself, and I you know seen that it it can at least with some people kind of create like an instant connection to that sense of danger from childhood of like no that's not safe and it might not even be like a super verbal thing right where there's like a clear you know clear words that are coming up but sometimes it's almost a somatic thing where it's like oh Mm -hmm. I feel like panic in my body when I imagine that or you know sensations will come up totally yeah yeah and then you might say oh your body knows something about the danger of this yeah what does it know or whatever you know so yeah it's pretty it's brilliant yeah and the wonderful thing is too is it doesn't have to be this 
like okay come into therapy i need to know your whole life from the moment you were born right. until now <laughs> it's like you start with the present problem you do some discovery work you connect up and you just it doesn't have to be you know some people come in they're like oh i've talked about my problem so much it's like right. well this this is this is a different way of of doing stuff that doesn't have to be long term don't get me wrong i have long term clients for sure <clears throat> but it doesn't um the idea is that it's brief right or briefer yeah 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 brief but deep like a way to kind of like do deep work without it taking forever yeah i think the first book was called depth oriented brief therapy how to go how to go how to go uh, how to be deep when you were trained when you were trained to be brief and vice versa or something like that or how to be brief when you're trying to go deep yeah yeah and vice versa yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah that was the first first book yeah yeah really good stuff yeah i really recommend there's some yeah like you said tory olds had some really good videos and there's a guy called niall geegan who also outlines like the steps of um coherence therapy which which is beneficial for like therapists and for um for clients too who are interested in it yeah um and there's also some great stuff on their website i think the ct coherence therapy institute yeah yeah um and i think the the new book is coming out in january so there'll be an unlocking the emotional brain part two i think mm -hmm. which is worth awesome getting. yeah yeah, I got yeah. so much out of out of that book. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention just in terms of like what I what I see this looking like with complex PTSD a lot is that, you know, when you're a kid and you're in a traumatic situation, I've talked about this before, but like one of the things that makes it so traumatic is the helplessness and the powerlessness that comes with it. Mm. So it's like, yes, the, the trauma itself, but also it's the fact that you have like no fucking resources when you're a kid, you know, and are such limited resources in terms of how you can protect yourself and like how you can, you know, navigate these situations. And so that has also been like a point of reprocessing that I've seen to be really powerful with the coherence therapy, which is just kind of like, um, you know, yeah, like I, I actually have like resources now I have agency now mm -hmm. I have tools mm -hmm. now. Um, I have different tools because sometimes those symptoms, and I see this a lot with like addictive behaviors, if it's like binge eating or drugs or some kind of like, you know, substance abuse, self-harm, those kinds of things the way that the symptom kind of became necessary is it was like, this is the only way that I can like cope mm -hmm. with my feelings. Like I'm mm -hmm. so overwhelmed mm -hmm. and I'm so isolated. This is like the only, you know, relief that I can find. And so then the point of reprocessing is like, there are, I actually have other ways to cope now. Mm -hmm. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I was thinking about what you were saying about the helplessness and stuff. And again, like visiting those scenes, you know, the reparative stuff of visiting those scenes as your adult self and being that protector yeah. can really be a juxtaposition. Um, actually, there's a there's, an, a, there's a, a video that um, Bruce does where this this young lady has stage fright and, and it ends up being about this time where she was in a, a car um, and her father was drunk, I think, and driving all over the road and it was really yeah. traumatic and terrible. And in the, in the session, the therapist guides her back to that scene in fact i think she just naturally goes back there and he encourages her to replay the scene as if she is empowered and has the strength yeah. to get away and it really just dissolves this schema for her because she imagines you know getting out of the car phoning the police being safe mm -hmm. walking away being away but it isn't just like 
um well just imagine doing that it's like really in it you know you're in it you're walking them through it yeah Yeah. no I've seen I've seen similar really amazing things with I think I call it um like imaginal empowerment or something like that where it's like yeah you go back Mm -hmm. but like this time you have protection this time you have agency and maybe it's like the adult you going back to save the the little you Mm -hmm. or protect the little you or maybe it's like oh imagine you're back in that scene but there's like a protective bubble around you so you can tell dad you know to leave you alone and and stop treating you this way and you know that you're safe or things like that can be really amazing oh my god yeah or you go back there with someone you know and trust now and you're both back there yeah yeah Mm. really great i love it yeah it's it's so Mm -hmm. cool so cool to watch Mm -hmm. and especially Mm -hmm. for since um a lot of the people that reach out to me for therapy now kind of fall into that camp of like i'm an intellectualizer i've been told i'm you know too self-aware for therapy i feel like these different imaginal exercises just it's it's so great to watch people be able to like get past that intellectualizing and actually feel some stuff move around yeah yeah and just speaking to that point too like if a client comes and you know they're in they they're intellectualizing i think as a as a ct therapist you would you would still be thinking it's it's emotionally coherent that they're intellectualizing right like yeah. even that even that is has a protective quality a and, and you would work together if that was getting in the way perhaps of the deeper work you may work with that as the symptom yeah like why why, why would it be emotionally necessary for this person to stay in their head and be out of their body yeah you know, and you would yeah. you would together would discover why that is necessary so it's never like oh this person is just intellectualizing we can't we can't do the work this is you know you would work with whatever they bring to the session meet them where they're at yes and, and look at why it may be emotionally necessary that they are that way with everything yeah and like yeah. I, you know and sometimes i you know I even do, i even do it with myself in a session if i have a session where it's been more of a chat I, I think about myself, why was it emotionally necessary for me to just engage in a bit of a chat today or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm always, instead of being like, I could have had a chat today and I, you know, I couldn't, you know, whatever, it's more like uh, empathizing with the emotional coherence right, of it. Right. And giving that to clients, I think is wonderful because yes, everyone is a perfectly coherent person and they're coming to therapy with their solutions. And sometimes the symptom in air quotes is happening in the session. Like if yes. a client's like, I need to get out of my head and it's happening in real time, you might try and do a symptom deprivation, you know? Okay. So you want to be in your body. Let's just, tr- let's try it right now. What happens if you pay attention to your body and there may be some thing uncomfortable about that. And then you deepen yeah. into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that you brought that up because um, I was just thinking about how, cause I, I really like, you know, somatic somatic therapy and nervous system stuff. But I was thinking about how sometimes if that's like the main lens you're working from, you know, which is to try to get someone like in their body, regulating their nervous system. What do you do when, when there's like a, you know, a coherent reason that someone is like totally repelled by that, you know, and doesn't want to do it. And, um, I, I know a lot of therapists kind of get stuck at that point where it's like, yeah, we try to go deeper. We try to get into the body or get into the feelings. And it brings up this like resistance topic. And I was, I just Mm -hmm. asked my last podcast guest about this too. Like, how do we view quote unquote resistance from a more trauma informed, you know, empathetic lens. And I feel like what you're saying is like anything that would be called resistance is also coherent coherent definitely yeah yeah yeah. and you would never say to someone you're resistant but like that's the terminology that we use in in therapy right is resistance but it is uh it's coherent this is and then you would work with the 
air quotes resistance and be like why is it emotionally necessary for this to be happening and also I want to say that like some people are in their heads a lot and that's their that's a coherent way of being for them but I think if you're chipping away at why why whatever their problem is makes sense on an emotional level I think any of that is good and it's good for clients it's been good for me when I've had sessions and I've been more in my head if I'm still shining a light on the emotional coherence of my problems, like I still feel like it's effective. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I just think it's I just think it's it's it, you know, maybe it's not always this like deep transformative thing, but if you're shining a light and you're coming from this perspective, it can feel really good. Yeah, yeah. Helpful. Yeah. From the the IFS framework, I think that would be basically spending time like getting to know the protector, the protector parts, which are like our defenses, you know, Mm -hmm, um, and really mm -hmm. like valuing and honoring what those protections are and what those defenses are and never Mm -hmm. trying to just, you know, override them or shame them. Yeah, I think even in IFS, they they invite you to like thank the part. So right. thanks, thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, we've got this covered. Is it? Is there anything you need to step aside whilst we do the, you know? And I think any of that yeah. stuff is good to get to where you want to go for sure. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for having this. Wait, is it over? I've only just, I've only just begun. I'm only joking. I think we're, I think we're right, right around the the ending mark. But I mean, please, if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about, we still got a few minutes. I'm just, I'm out of my questions. <laughs> no no for sure i'm just joking i think it's hard you know i'm like wait did i explain it properly did the people like what the hell is this guy talking about <laughs> um I no, think I don't you did a good I, job. No, I, I don't think, think you, I have anything else. Yeah, I, I think you did great. And, you know, if anyone wants to read more about this, totally, like, look it up. You know, watch those YouTube videos about it. Um, there's there's some good stuff online. Totally, yeah. And feel free, like, people can reach out if they're curious about working in this way. Um, mm-hmm. My, yeah, our website is strongrootspsychotherapy.com. Um, and, yeah, actually, can I mention about trying to bring people on? Yeah, I was going to I was gonna lead into that, so go ahead. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So Keena and I are working together to build our team. Um, So we're looking for people who are sort of have been doing some experiential type work and want to do more of it and and come and work with us and and train with us. And ideally someone is licensed in Texas, but we are broadening to sort of everywhere in the States. Um, So, yeah, if people listening are interested in getting to know us and maybe wanting to work with us that would be cool feel free to reach out and just you can just go on the website yeah strongrootspsychotherapy.com and reach out to us yeah yeah and uh i also have uh my link tree in the podcast episode description where i have like a google form where you can fill out an application or you can reach out to hello at strongrootspsychotherapy.com but i figured it was good to to have you on because that way anyone considering you know wanting to join can kind of hear how we interact and get like a get like a vibe for kind of what what we focus on so totally yeah yeah thank you so much for uh, inviting me on yeah absolutely and sam are you taking clients um that's a good question perhaps perhaps in the next couple of weeks i might have some slots opening um but i'm also trying to sort of create space for the new people coming in that we might um crane and all of that stuff mm-hmm. but yeah some if anyone is interested in working through this lens and want to reach out i'd love to consult with people um, yeah yeah awesome yeah and cool. I'll, I'll put a i'll put the link in the podcast description all right thank you so much sam thank you